You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot. That's how the gospel reading ends, and this is the point of it all. And when we understand this difficult parable, that's where we, that's where we ourselves want to end up. Serving God and not money. Jesus teaches a lot about money, and most of his teaching is warning. Because money, and remember Luther warns us also of this in the large catechism, money is the most common of all idols because money has the illusion of permanence and security. You know this illusion. The, I, the idea that if you had enough money, then you would be secure and you would be safe. The trouble is enough always seems elusive. <laughs> and this security is an illusion. I wonder sometimes if the person who designed the dollar bill put the eagle on there for this reason, to remind us that the stuff flies away. <laughs> it's here one day and it's gone the next, right? And we know it. We've all experienced this. But still we are tempted to trust in money. And this, says Jesus, is idolatry. Breaking not just the seventh commandment, but also the first. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Now, it's good for us to ask these uh, ourselves these questions like this. What am I afraid of? Or what do I love most of all? What do I trust in? And money and possessions make it there on the list. This is why Jesus has to warn us. But the text that we have in front of us this morning is is not just about trusting in money, but specifically, Jesus is talking about serving money. You cannot serve God and money, says Jesus. Fear of poverty... Love of the world's riches, trust in wealth, all of these end up in the same place, a slavery to money. And Jesus says, you cannot be money's slave and also serve God. No man can have two masters. What do we do with money then? One option would be to get rid of it altogether. That's the way the monks did it. They took a threefold vow. They still take, the monks still take a threefold vow of, of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Poverty, to give up all worldly possessions. After all, how can you serve money if you don't have any? <laughs> and it seems like a good idea until we pay attention. I mean, we can pay attention to the way of the world and realize that some of the people who are most obsessed with money are the people that don't have any. It's one thing to recognize the danger of money, and it is another to think that it's evil. That second thought is wrong. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. And the seventh commandment should protect us from this error. You shall not steal, which means that God himself likes private property. With this commandment, the seventh commandment, the Lord protects our vocation as owner. He involves us in commerce. He gives us the privilege of writing our name on stuff. And he sets us to use stuff, even money, in service to our neighbor. 
So, the Christian is not to eschew worldly possessions, but rather, the Christian is to be generous. This is probably what the parable of the unjust steward is about, although not in the way that we expect it. Especially if we read the parable about, about being about this scoundrel of a steward. Really, the parable is about the generosity of his master. In fact, considering the parable for a minute, I suspect at first reading that the difficulty of this parable from Luke chapter 16 is that here this steward steals money from his master by taking the debt of these uh, his debtors and cutting it down. And then in the end, the master commends him for it. It looks like he's commending theft, but we'll look a little closer and see. This wealthy man, first of all, must have been incredibly wealthy. As in every indication of the uh, of the text would give us. I mean, the debts that these people owed him were were years and years worth of income. And so important was even this man's steward that he could summon the debtors and they would come immediately to him. That's an incredibly important man. And he has this steward there, this manager, who has the authority to handle his business, his trading, his debts, all of his wealth. Now, charges were brought against this the steward, this manager, that he was wasting the master's possession. That word wasting is the same word that the text uses to describe the prodigal son who ran off and wasted his father's goods, his inheritance. So this wasteful, so this wasteful steward, the, uh, the charges against him are brought to the master and the, and the master comes to this guy and he asks for an account of his stewardship and for his resignation. Now, at this point in the text, it could have gone any number of ways. This, uh, this steward could have, could have said that the accusations against him were false. He could have defended himself. He could have protested. Or he could have run off with a bunch of money. There would have been enough wealth laying around that he could have, he could have lined his pockets with gold and made off for a foreign country. But he doesn't. He hatches a path that's about to unfold. Which is very sophisticated and really quite wonderful. He calls the various debtors into his office. And he asks them to reduce their own debt. He takes them one at a time and he actually has them sign the slip of paper. First to reduce a hundred measures of oil to fifty and then to reduce a hundred measures of wheat down to eighty. But these amounts, by the way, the fifty measures of oil and the twenty measures of wheat are the equivalent of about a year and a half of wages, thousands and thousands of dollars. And systematically, this unjust steward takes the people there and cuts down their debt. Now, we have to imagine the result of this. How the town would have been filled with joy. How all the people would have been united in praise. Not of the steward, but of the master. They don't know that he doesn't have the authority to do this. They think that he's acting on behalf of the master. That he's the one who reduced the debt. And so they would have been sending him gifts, goats and bottles of wine and thank you notes, rejoicing at this newfound wealth of all of these families. And now we see what the manager, what the unjust steward is up to. Because at this point, the master could have gone to all of these families and said, look, I'm really sorry, guys. I know that my, my steward just reduced your debt, all of these thousands of dollars, but I had already fired him. And he didn't have the authority to do it. He couldn't legally change the bill. You still owe me all of this. He had legal standing to do this. But this master is generous. And this master is kind. And this steward 
knows it. In fact, he's betting his future on the generosity and the kindness of his master. And for this, he's commended. When the master looks at these receipts and he sees the debt changed and he sees the handwriting of his debtors, he looks at this scoundrel of a steward and says, well played. You knew me. You knew my generosity. You knew my kindness and you used it to your own advantage to make friends for yourselves. So Jesus says, The sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. You, dear Christian, are not to serve money. You are not to be a slave to money. But rather, you are to put money to your service or better, to the service of your neighbor leaning the whole time on the generosity and the kindness of God our Father. And this is what our stewardship is. That we use the wealth that the Lord has entrusted to us to make eternal friends. And we do it carefully and we do it, and we do it with wisdom. There is often in the church a lot of talk about stewardship. You know this. Uh, time, talent, and treasure, which is code word for treasure. <laughs> talk of what we give to the Lord and all of this sort of thing. I think the whole idea of stewardship is very simple. Our money, for the Christian and for the unchristian, our money follows what we love. And Christians love the gospel. Christians love the preaching of forgiveness. Christians love the distribution of God's promise. And the Christian loves the church because this is the place where Jesus puts forth His kindness and His word in this world. So the Christian's money follows what they love. The gospel. Now this is important. Because money at last will fail. It all disappears when you breathe your last breath. You can't take it with you. But there are things even in this world that will not fail. There are things that will not pass away. There will things, there are things that will not be burned up on the last day. The Lord's word remains forever. His name endures. His life never ends. And He has put His name on you and planted His word in your heart and given you life that is eternal in the gospel. So Jesus says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. When we invest in the gospel, We invest in things eternal. We store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We make friendships, in fact, that last forever. You got it? That's stewardship. But look, in all of this, in all this discussion of, of wealth and poverty, of things temporal and things eternal, we can't forget the big picture, which is the poverty of Jesus. Here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. We are generous 
It is because Jesus gave everything for us. If we live with confidence that the Lord will take care of us, it is because Jesus has died and forgiven our sins and promised that nothing will stand between us and Him. And even when we are greedy and foolish, His love, His generosity, and His kindness will prevail. We have bet our future and bet our lives on this, that the One who is in heaven and rules over all is generous and kind. And the one whom he sent forth for us, his son, is generous and kind. And that in everything that happens in this life, in life and in death, in riches and in poverty, in sickness and in health, in everything, he loves you. And he forgives you. And he delights in you. This is our confidence. And this is our peace. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.